So tomorrow's lectures, I really suggest that you pre-read tomorrow's lectures. It's a lot more complicated than today's. Uh, with force velocity, preload, afterload. What we're going to talk about now, muscle contraction, preload, afterload, and total inactive force. I'm going to go through how all of these different uh, parameters are actually measured in skeletal muscle. Bless you. So for the outline of this lecture, we're going to look at muscle contraction. So I want to point out that in physiology, muscle contraction is not shortening. A muscle contraction is generating force. The muscle can shorten or it doesn't have to shorten. There's two types of contraction that I'll discuss isometric and isotonic contractions. Iso means the same, so isometric means same length. So isometric, the muscle does not shorten. Isotonic, same force, the muscle does shorten in isotonic contractions. Preload, passive force, those are all of the forces okay, that contribute to tension with the muscles at rest. I'd mentioned that Dr. Norton um, had lots of students asking him about preload, so he went to 29 different texts and kind of synthesized the best answer for what preload is. Total force is a total force that a muscle can generate. It consists of active force and preload or passive force. Active force, that's the force that the myosin generates when it pulls on actin. So that's an activity. The myosin binds to actin and generates active force. Afterload, we'll discuss that too. So afterload is the, fo is the tension required to move a weight. And that's a simplistic thing. We'll go into Dr. Norton's definition afterwards. So we're going to be looking at muscle contraction, generation of tension when you stimulate a muscle. Isometric, where the muscle stays the same length. Okay, isometric contractions, muscle stays the same length. Then we'll have isotonic, where the muscle shortens. Preload, total force, active force, afterload. And you can discuss with each other. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds. If you can click through. Okay. 
So those 16% who said A, okay, partly right, okay, you can get shortening with muscle contraction, but in general, and actually the perfect answer for B, B is the correct answer, it would be very long and everybody would pick the longer answer, okay? So contraction in physiology relates to the generation of force. The muscle can shorten or not shorten. So those 3%, um, we're going to have the definition now, okay? In, and I added these things just to make it a little bit more clearer to the notes. So the English language, contraction means shortening. We're in physiology. So contraction is the generation of tension or force with or without shortening of the muscle when it's stimulated to contract. Okay, when you stimulate that muscle to contract, it generates force. Myosin binds to actin and generates force. The muscle might not shorten, such as you're pushing against a wall. Okay, you're generating force, but there's no shortening of your muscle. Or if you're lifting a textbook, okay, you can generate force, and then you also have shortening of the muscle. So very important point, contraction in physiology means generating force. The reason why I stress this is because I have lots of students coming in my office asking about this. So I just wanted to make it relatively clear. Okay, so myosin can generate force even if no shortening occurs. This is what a muscle twitch or a muscle contraction looks like. This is an isometric contraction. On the y-axis, we have force of contraction. On the x-axis, we have time. Beautiful bell-shaped curve. At time zero, you stimulate that muscle to contract, and you measure the force that's generated. So that blue period, that blue line, the latent period, that's all of the things I discussed in the last lecture. The nerve impulse comes in, acetylcholine is released at the neuromuscular junction, binds to nicotinic receptors, causes sodium to flow in. Okay, that's the major driving force. Potassium also leaks out, but sodium is the main one that causes that graded potential, that chemically induced end plate potential. If that end plate potential is above threshold, it causes the voltage-gated sodium channels on the rest of the membrane to, depolarize, to open and cause depolarization over the surface of the molecule, surface of the muscle, sorry. That depolarization goes down T-tubules. It's sensed by the L-type calcium channel, which is a sensor, not a channel, in skeletal muscle. So that L-type calcium channel is a sensor. Senses that depolarization undergoes conformational change and causes the Ryanine receptors to open. Calcium flows out. Calcium binds to troponin C, all or none. It saturates the troponin C. Tropomyosin inhibition is removed. Myosin binds to actin. You get the crossword cycling. All of these things happen in that blue period. All of those molecular um, situations. That why, that's why there's a bit of a lag. And then you start to get muscle contracting, okay, generating force, and then the muscle relaxes. This whole peak here, that's the muscle contraction. So you have the generating force in the orange and then relaxation of force in the green, in that green relaxation period. So you stimulate the muscle once, right here at point zero, the muscle contracts, generates force. On the right part of the figure, I just want to introduce a little bit more of the concepts that we're going to talk about. This green parenthesis on the right, the passive force or preload, that's the tension when the muscle's at rest. You have not stimulated the muscle. Okay, so that's the muscle completely at rest. That's how much tension the muscle is generating. If you stimulate the muscle to contract, 
you generate active force. Okay, so that active force is when the myosin binds to the actin. So muscle twitch, muscle contraction, this is an isometric. Force of contraction over time. You have the passive force, and then we have active force. And if you add these passive and active, you get the total force. Okay, you just read across towards the y-axis to read the total force. That's what we're going to be covering today in this one graph. As, and then we're also going to talk about isometric, isotonic contractions. So definitions. Isometric contraction, the muscle does not shorten. Iso, same, metric, length, same length. So the muscle doesn't shorten. And the muscle generates maximum force. Isotonic contraction, iso, same, tonic, tension or force. In this type of contraction, there's a flat-topped period of the graph, flat-topped region of the graph, where the force does not increase over time. Okay, a specific portion of that isotonic contraction. The muscle does shorten, okay? And the, they have a constant or fixed force with or when the length changes occur. And we'll go over that in detail. So isometric, no length changes. Isotonic contraction, it's a flat-topped curve, okay? And then you get fixed force over time. So this is really important here. Students always come to me and say, Dr. Murray, how can you generate force if the muscle is not shortening? Well, the muscle doesn't shorten in isometric contraction. You generate force. And, and I'm kind of tempted to tell the students, hold the book out at arm's length and don't make your muscles move. Are you generating force without movement? Yes or no? After five minutes, you'd, you'd be a little upset. Anyhow, so isometric contraction. You can measure this experimentally by taking muscle out of an organism, a vertebrate, and clamping it in an apparatus and keeping it at a fixed length. Or you can have the muscle contract against a weight that it cannot move. In both of these situations, the muscle doesn't change length. So there's no shortening. Cross bridges form, cross bridge cyclings occur, myosin attaches and detaches from actin. A lot of students hate this. If you don't like this definition, just think the myosin's wiggling on the actin, okay, if that, if that helps you understand. For, so for isometric contraction, the muscle does not shorten. You still have cross-bridge cycling, you still generate force, but there's no length changes. And this is how you measure it. You have this apparatus on the left, this diagram on the left, okay, you've got in blue, a force transducer at the top, you measure the amount of force that the muscle can generate. In that blue square, you measure the force. And in that red box, you stimulate the muscle to contract. And this apparatus has a wheel in this bottom left corner. This circle has a wheel. And you can change the length of that apparatus. You can move it up to stretch the muscle or move it down to shorten the muscle. Another important point, the muscle is attached at both ends. It's attached to the force transducer at the top. So this green blob, I mean, it's a gray blob, is the muscle. It's attached to the top and attached at the bottom. And you can lock the muscle at specific lengths. Okay, so you measure an isometric twitch. You flex or clamp that muscle at a specific length. You stimulate the muscle using the stimulator. 
and then you measure the force of contraction. And you can change the length of the muscle and measure the muscle at different lengths. That's how you get the force length curves. Okay, you look to see how much force the muscle can generate at different lengths. And how much force the muscle can generate at different lengths depends on preload and also the overlap of the muscle. So the total force depends on those two. And you can do this over and over and over. And again, you clamp the muscle, you fix the muscle at different lengths, and you measure how much force the muscle can generate at different lengths. This is an isometric contraction. So when you stimulate the muscle in the top right-hand side with that blue box, that's force. That's force over time. So force is on the y-axis, time is on the x, and that's the same as the muscle twitch that we showed before. The muscle's generating force, and there's no movement in the bottom panel with the length. Okay? So that red panel says length. That's the distance moved on the y-axis over time. One thing I'll point out, this goes from 8, 7, 6, 5 upwards, the opposite direction. And the reason why it does that, if the muscle, if the muscle theoretically was to move, that pen would move upwards and you'd get the shortening. So that's just by convention that they have on the y-axis that shortening is shown upwards. But in the isometric contraction, there's no shortening. So the muscles at a fixed length, there's no length changes with isometric contraction. And this arrow here is the peak isometric force, the maximum or total force that that muscle can generate at a given length. And you can discuss with each other. Okay, let's see how everyone did. So yes, myosin, the reason why I asked this question, because I get this question a lot in office hours. So during an isometric contraction, the muscle does not shorten, but the myosin does pull on actin. And when it pulls on actin, it's generating force. So you get an increase in force over time. So yes, myosin does pull on actin. It doesn't shorten. Okay, but it does generate force. Yes. Yeah, you get a power stroke. Yeah. What generates the force? The my okay, I'll diagram. The myosin will bind to the actin, and it will pull on that actin, detach, and then that actin won't really move, and it will attach to the same point or close to the same point and keep on pulling. So you can think of the myosin binding and then that sarcomere wiggling and the myosin is generating force and pulling that actin. So you do not get shortening. So let me ask you a question. 
if you're pushing a car or you're pushing this podium, and I have to do it carefully because it has wheels, and I can't and pretend that I can't move it, am I generating force? Are my muscles shortening? Okay, so that's this question here. The myosin actually generates force when you push against an immovable object for isometric contraction. So the myosin will pull on the actin, detach, bind again, and pull again. Isotonic contractions, you have the flat-topped curve. So if we look at the left image, image on this left here, we have that similar apparatus that can change length. You have the force transducer at the top. You have the stimulator. But look at the bottom of the muscle here. The muscle's not fixed anymore. You have a weight on it. Okay, so the muscle has to lift the weight. And that pen, that pen has a marker. So if the muscle, muscle shortens, it, the pen will move up. And as the muscle relaxes, the pen will move down. So this is an isotonic contraction. In the top right image, we look at number one on that top right with force over time. That bottom panel is length over time. So let's look at that top part, number one. You stimulate the muscle to contract. You only stimulate it once. You stimulate the muscle to contract. The muscle generates force, generates force, generates force until it just hits that point, that inflection point labeled afterload. When the muscle generates just enough force to move this weight, then it starts to shorten starts to have length changes, generates just enough force. All of those cross bridges, okay, a proportion of those cross bridges are generating just enough force to move that weight, and any cross bridges that form after that are translated into length changes. And you don't need, once you start moving that weight, you don't need any extra force to move the weight. The weight is already moving. So that flat-topped region after this afterload, in that top image, that flat top region of the graph, that's the flat, that's the isotonic phase. Okay, and you get shortening in that region. In the bottom part of this graph, if you look at number two, you get isotonic shortening. You stimulate that muscle, it generates just enough, just enough force. And it starts moving, starts to shorten. Everybody likes to use the biceps to demonstrate it. You get shortening, moves up, moves to the maximum distance that it can shorten, and then it starts to relax. Okay, calcium starts to be pumped, the calcium levels start to go down, and the muscle starts to lengthen, lengthen, lengthen in number three, goes back to the original length. And if we look at number four in the top image, that muscle is still has a little bit of tension in it, a little bit of residual tension after it returns to its original length, and then it relaxes. So number four is the reverse of number one. The muscle generates force, generates force, generates force without any movement, and then it starts to move the weight, and the force does not increase anymore. In number four, that force, once the muscle returns to its original length, that force dissipates. The residual force in the muscle dissipates. So we look at this image here, and I've color-coded it. In the top part, it's an, the isotonic contraction, force versus time. And in the bottom image, it's length versus time. In red, labeled number one, you have that isometric phase. And in purple, you have the isotonic phases. So an isotonic contraction has two separate phases, an isometric phase and an isotonic phase.
in the isometric phases, if you look at this top panel with the force length, okay, and then you go down from that red curve at the front, down, 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 length versus time, you can see that there's no length changes. If you move towards the right with that downslope that's red, you go down towards the graph below and you see that there's no length changes. During an isometric phase, isometric phase of the isotonic contraction, there's no length changes. During the isotonic phase in purple, you have shortening and then lengthening of the muscle. So the isotonic contraction has two separate phases in it. So if we go again at that first portion, number one, the muscle generates, generates force, generates force, generates force, and it can just move that weight. Just enough cross bridges, just enough force to move that weight, that green dot. Once the muscle generates enough force to move that weight, it starts to move, such as when I push this podium. Okay? And that force stays constant, and any of those extra cross bridges are translated into length changes. So you've stimulated the muscle to contract, calcium levels increase, the muscles generating force, generating force, generating force, cross bridges are being formed. And once that weight starts to be moved, the force stays constant, and any extra cross bridges go into length changes. So it shortens, and then at that peak, calcium levels decrease, calcium is pumped back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum, and the muscle starts to relax and returns back to its original length. That's two and three in the purple for the isotonic phase. In the red portion on the far end, that red downslope, that's isometric relaxation. The muscle has returned, returned to its original length, and then that residual force that you have there, it dissipates over time. So that's an isotonic contraction. Two different phases, isometric in red, isotonic phase in purple. And you have length changes during this flat-topped portion. So isometric contraction, it's a bell-shaped curve. The muscle stays at a fixed length, constant length. Generates the maximum force that it can. All of the myosin and actin cross bridges that are formed generate the maximum force for that specific length. And that peak of total force depends on the starting length of the muscle. We'll talk about that a little later. So isometric contraction, it's a bell-shaped curve. Dr. Murray remembers it as that M it's kind of bell-shaped, so it's got a bell-shaped curve for isometric. Isotonic, the capital T, flat-topped curve, okay? And it separates between two different phases, an isometric, isotonic phase. In the isometric phase, you generate just enough force to move that weight, to just start moving that weight. And the isotonic phase is when you actually start moving that weight, and when you move that weight, you get shortening and lengthening, you get length changes in the muscle. Preload. So again, Dr. Norton down here got a nice publication uh, because the students kept on coming to his office asking about preload. They were confused about preload. So he looked at 29 different texts and he came up with this definition for preload. I actually tried to, tried to find out the origin of preload, couldn't find it, okay? but I did find the Norton Journal reference. Preload represents all the factors that contribute to this passive tension in the muscle at rest. And the way that I think of it is in, it's, it's induced by stretching of the muscle before the muscle contracts. So the muscle is at rest, and you get preload by stretching the muscle to different lengths.
the way that I think of preload, load is tension, and pre is before. So preload is tension on the beginning. And that's just a Dr. Murray way of thinking of it. But the best definition, it represents all the factors that contribute to passive tension in the muscle at rest. And why does the muscle have this passive tension? Because of its structural elements. It's got tightened filaments in it. If you stretch those structural elements, they generate force. They resist that stretch. The collagen fibers, you know, from anatomy, endomycium, paramycium, epimycium, tendons, all of those collagen elements, those connective tissues, if you stretch them, they can generate tension. And also the muscle itself is a bag filled with water, essentially, and it's incompressible. That also contributes to the preload. Preload occurs when the muscle is not contracting. So the muscle is not contracting, the muscle is completely at rest. It's a tension with the muscle at rest. You can discuss with each other. I want 100% on this one. And you can discuss with each other. Okay, I'm guessing that everybody clicked through. I'll wait a few more seconds. All right. Woohoo! Okay, I just defined that so we don't need to go over it again. So you guys did really well with that preload. The way that you measure preload, we have this apparatus again, this same apparatus. The muscle is fixed at either end. One end, the force transducer, the other end, it's trapped down here at the base. There's no stimulator, so I tried to remove that stimulator. Okay, the muscle is at rest, no stimulation happening to the muscle. This apparatus, you can change the length. So let's look at the graph on the right. And I know the numbering's not perfect, okay? So we look at 0.5 on this graph on the x-axis of this force length graph. At point five, we've stretched that muscle to a specific length. Is there force, yes or no? Is that point five? We down here. No, okay. So that point five, there's zero force at that specific length of the muscle. We stretch the muscle a little bit more. Let's go to two. Has force increased? Excellent. We didn't stimulate the muscle at all. We're just stretching that muscle. So all of those collagen fibers, the titan, the structural elements are being stretched and they generate force, okay? Passive force or preload. And then you stretch it more and more and more and more, preload increases. So preload is just the passive force in the muscle when it's at rest. You do not stimulate the muscle. You stretch the muscle, it resists that stretch after it passes a certain length. So preload is proportional to length, but not directly to length. So physiologists sometimes get a little bit lazy and equate preload to length. But as you can see from this image, that preload is not equal to length. It's proportional. As you change length, preload changes after a certain length. But physiologists are a little bit lazy, and sometimes they say preload is equal to length, but preload is proportional to length. 
the skeletal muscle, some students were asking me, some students always ask me about preload, doesn't really happen in skeletal muscle in your body. You have to break your bones to actually generate preload in your skeletal muscles. There's very few muscles that you can actually preload, such as the Achilles tendon and the kangaroo. Very few muscles that you can. So for the general purpose of this course, you don't really have preload in your body. So people come up to me and they start asking questions like this about preload with the biceps. No. All of these experiments, look at this image on the left. You take isolated muscle and you stretch it to different lengths. In the human body, basically your, your number of cross bridges and the length of the muscle are kept at optimal length. Okay? And you don't really have that much preload in skeletal muscle when it's attached to the bone. All of these experiments, isolated skeletal muscle. Why is preload important then? Preload plays a huge role in the heart. Okay? Starling's law of the heart. Okay? You get force generated. When the heart fills with blood and the heart is relaxed, when it fills with blood in diastole, the heart gets stretched. If you get more blood going into the heart, you stretch the heart even more. Okay? So preload is, plays a huge role in the heart and you get a lot more of that. Um, when you start discussing the cardiac, uh, the heart portion of this, of this course. So preload, it's really easy to measure it, really easy to understand in skeletal muscle. On this graph, we have A, B, and C. A is red, B is blue, C is green, and their length increases from A to B to C. You have two factors happening here. First, you have preload. So this flat portion, that baseline, you haven't stimulated the muscle yet. You've stretched the muscle to different lengths. This graph is force per time. If you stretch that muscle, as we just talked about, with preload, the tension is going to increase. So A, preload is lower. You stretch to the muscle to B, preload is increased, and C, preload is increased even more. That's one thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that the number of cross bridges changes as you change the length of muscle. So as you change that length of muscle, we're going from short to optimal, you increase the number of optimal cross bridges that can form. If you increase the number of myosin that binds to actin, you increase the total force that can be generated. So A, B, and C relate to the number of myosin cross bridges being formed. So you change the length, and this is where physiologists are a little bit lazy. So preload affects the myosin overlap. It's kind of imperfect. It should be better be stated as the length affects myosin overlap, but the physiologists tend to be a little bit lazy and just say preload affects these, um, the total force. Okay? So preload, at that flat baseline, you stretch the muscle to different lengths, it's not stimulated, you have different amounts of tension, passive force or preload. You also change the, the number of cross bridges that can form within the sarcomere itself. Okay? And you increase the number of cro optimal cross bridges that can form, and you increase that total force. This is force versus time graph. Okay? It's not a force length curve, it's force versus time. And basically, we look at the force when we uh, change the muscle length. This occurs only on the ascending limb of the force length curve. I'll get to that a little bit later. So I drew this myself. Okay, I'm not a very good artist. That's why I drew it beforehand. 
this little diagram, and it's not in your notes. So this little diagram, a lot of students come to my office and ask me, so I decided that I'd add in this extra page. This little springy thing here in the top, that spiral in the top, that's preload. In this bottom part here, that's the sarcomere. You've got the thin filaments and the thick filaments, and it's just a cartoon representation of the two things that generate force in that muscle. So let's take these ends, either ends, and I pull it, and I pull it, and I pull it, and I stretch that spring. I have not stimulated the muscle. Will tension increase, yes or no? Yes. As I change the length of that muscle, I also change the overlap of the actin, shown in this bottom sarcomere, with the myosin. And I can increase the number of optimal cross bridges being formed. So I change the preload by stretching the muscle, and I also change the number of cross bridges that can form in the sarcomere. If I stimulate that muscle to contract, then the preload already has some tension there, and these sarcomere overlap, the myosin cross bridges, also contribute to that force. So if I change the length of that muscle, as I go increase the length, increase the preload will increase, and the amount of uh, actin and myosin overlap will increase. Okay, so I increase the number of cross bridges, and that's what's shown here. So preload was that spring, and these peaks close to A, B, C, that's the contribution of the myosin and actin overlap. So diagrammatically, this is actually the two different forces that happen within the skeletal muscle. Preload, passive tension, the active force, that's due to the number of cross bridges being formed. Any questions on that? Excellent. So for that active force, we're only looking at this force length curve. So this is force on the y-axis, length on the x. We're only looking at force on the ascending curve. So as we change the amount of overlap in that sarcomere, we increase the amount of force that the muscle can generate. Okay, so that's an important concept to remember for that active force length curve. And students always ask about this little dip. That's just the illustrator just drew it like that, okay? It's a bell-shaped curve, looks very nice, okay? So don't worry about that little inflection point. So the important point of this graph, we're looking at the increase in force with length. As you increase the length of the sarcomere, you increase the force, and that relates to this graph here, where you can increase the peak of A, B, and C. And you can discuss with each other. Okay, let's see how we did. So we didn't talk about this yet. So yes, the force length curve is measured using a series of isometric contractions. 
Those students that got it right, you'll remember. Those students that got it wrong, you'll also remember. Okay? And we're going to talk about it now. So this is, and the, the slides are a little bit mixed up. So this one had occurred before. This is how we're going to look at total and passive forces. It's the same apparatus that we looked at before, where you have this um, apparatus that you can change the length of the muscle. You can fix the muscle at specific lengths. You have a force transducer. You have the muscle stimulator. And the muscle can be fixed at different lengths. And you can repeat these experiments over and over and over. And you basically lock the muscle at different lengths, stimulate the muscle, measure the force that the muscle can generate. So in this graph on the right, it's force versus time. Nice bell-shaped curves for force versus time. Those are isometric contractions. Nice bell-shaped curve. Three things on those graphs. Force on the y-axis, time on the x, and then one, two, and three represent muscles at different lengths. So in that apparatus, at number one, I had the muscle at a certain length. I stimulated it, and I measured the force. So number one, I measured the total force that that muscle can generate. I stretched the muscle to a longer length. The total force increases in number two. So number two, total force is increased. Stretch the muscle to an even longer length. Stimulate it to contract. Measure the force at number three. Force increased. So that peak at one, two, and three, that's a total isometric force. And those total isometric forces that are measured by using a series of isometric contractions. This is how you measure preload or passive force. Those two terms are synonymous. Again, the muscle is completely relaxed. You have not stimulated the muscle. Preload, the muscle is at rest, completely relaxed. Intracellular calcium levels are very low. We have the same apparatus, and, and, on, and I use the same graph. We're actually measuring the passive force in the muscle before we stimulate it. So one, two, three, four, five are muscles at different lengths, and the green triangles wrap with the black interior, the green triangles with the black centers, that measures preload over time. And that's before you stimulate the muscle to contract. The graph on the left, force versus time, isometric contractions. But you're measuring the preload before you stimulate the muscle to contract at different lengths. You have force, time, and one, two, three, four, five at different lengths. We simplify that graph by measuring force versus length on the right. So at all these different lengths, one, two, three, four, five, we plot the passive force that was generated, and we get this passive force curve. That passive force is due to structural elements, okay? Titan, collagen, cell incompressibility. And it's what the force, the tension that the muscle generates at rest. Yes? Two and three are not higher than one. Uh, yeah, down here. Ah, because if you think of preload as an elastic band, if I stretch this elastic band here, is there any preload? So it's dipping down. No. If I stretch it a little bit more, is there any force? At a certain point, 
it gets stretched, and you generate force. So that collagen, titan, and all of those elements at a specific length start to generate force. So that's why I said preload is proportional to length, but not equal to length. So it's not a straight line where you have preload going all the way up. At a specific length, preload starts to increase. That's when you start to stretch those specific elements. Okay? Good question. So that's how you measure the preload. Now we're going to measure total force. Take the same muscle, stretch it to different lengths, one, two, three, four, five, and we measure the total force, that peak of force that that muscle can generate. And again, we're measuring force over time. These are isometric contractions. We're stretching the muscle to a specific length, stimulating it, measuring the force, stretch it to a longer length, number two, stimulate, measure force, three, four, five. As you stretch that muscle even longer, that total force is increased. And you can plot it on the graph on the right, where total force increases with the length at which you stretch that muscle. And these, you guys are probably wondering, why is Dr. Murray torturing us like this? Okay. This concept's really important for tomorrow's lecture. That's why I'm going through it piece by piece. These are going to be force length curves, and you guys are going to be really annoyed tomorrow with the force length curves. Okay? So, active force. Active force, you just think of action. The myosin binds to actin and generates force. Myosin is a molecular motor, and it pulls on actin, generates force. The actin may or may not move. In this case, it's an isometric contraction, and you measure the maximum force that occurs for that specific length. So these blue curves, one, two, three, four, five, and I've put these little blue parentheses next to it to show that the height you know, increases from one to two to three, and then the height of those start to decrease as you lengthen the muscle even more. And we can plot it on the right, okay, with force per length, and you get this bell-shaped curve. This is the active force length curve that we looked at earlier. We're looking at force per length. And then we looked at it in the previous lecture. So here on the ascending curve, okay, you're basically getting more and more cross bridges being formed until you get to the optimal length at the peak. And then as you stretch the muscle even more, you pull that actin away from the myosin, and then you get less and less cross bridges being formed. So at either end, way down to the left of that curve, you have lower force. Towards the other end, past number five, you have increased force, and you have optimal force in the middle. So that's the active force length curve. And you can discuss with each other.
Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds. If you can click through. Okay, I hope we got 100% on this one. So, those, you know, I think people are just clicking no on purpose. Those 26%, yes, you generate active force during an isometric contraction. Let me go back to this graph. One, two, three, four, five. Those are all isometric contractions, and those blue parentheses are showing active force that's generated during an isometric contraction. When you stimulate a muscle to contract or to generate force, calcium, intracellular calcium levels increase. Intracellular calcium levels increase, myosin, woohoo, binds to actin. You generate force. If the muscle cannot shorten, it generates force forms a bell-shaped curve, all of those cross bridges are generating the total force, maximum force that they can generate for that length. If the muscle can shorten, then you get an isotonic contraction. If you really want to test this out, what you can do is hold two heavy books out for half an hour on your arms, and there's no shortening of your muscle, and you, are you generating force, yes or no? So um, you do generate force, okay? So you don't really have to try it. So, we put all of these things together, so we have all of these different things, and this is what we get. This is the force length curve on the right. The height of the blue curves, that's the active force, that's cross bridges being formed, and then the passive force or the preload increases. Total force in green is active force plus passive force. The blue line, that's the active force length curve, we've looked at that, that's the active force generated by the muscle. Red line is passive, green line is total force. And we have this beautiful graph that we're going to be looking at most of tomorrow for my lectures. And again, you have the influence of preload and then the sarcomere. Okay, we've covered that before. The preload is the red line. The active force or the sarcomeres is that blue line. Both of those two different forces occurring at different lengths, force versus length, contribute to this force length curve. You can view active force in a different way. Total force is the blue line. Passive force or preload is the green line. So if total force is passive force and active force, active force is total minus passive, the space between these two lines. So that's active force there. So when you look at active force in this way, there's no force generated on the boundaries of these lines outside of the boundaries. So there's no force above the total force because that's a total force that the muscle can generate. And past the force, the muscle's not stimulated, so then you don't have any active force. And one note that I added, this is active force demonstrated this way. I had shown active force as a bell-shaped curve. Let me go here. Active force is a bell-shaped curve here. So there's two different ways that you can look at active force. Active force can be the bell-shaped curve or it can be the space in between these two lines. So there's two different ways you can look at active force. The reason why I'm pointing this out is because we'll be talking about this active force between these two lines a lot. One of the last things I'm going to talk about, 
This is the normal range of operation, force per length. In your body, your muscles are attached to bones, and they operate within a specific range. Okay, so the majority of the experiments that I showed you were experimentally where you take muscle and you stretch it to different lengths, and you look at the preload and afterload. In the skeletal muscle, to look at that, you'd have to break the bones of your body to actually get significant amounts of preload. Okay, so these things, preload, after, um, total force, I'm sorry, the preload doesn't really occur in skeletal muscle as much. It's re and why am I discussing it? It's really easy to examine this in skeletal muscle, and you'll be talking about this a lot in heart. Last question. And you can discuss with each other. So if you can click through. 20 more seconds. 10 more seconds, if you can click through. 10 more seconds. 5, 4, click through. Okay. Active force. So those of you that got D, you're correct if it's total force. Total force is the greatest in D. B, active force, is the distance between the blue and the green line. Okay, so that's the greatest amount of active force. So thank you very much. And there's some videos that you can watch that look at preload and afterload. <laughs>